Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning into Beats Research Radio, a podcast and YouTube channel dedicated to bringing our community closer to research in the science and engineering fields. My name is Arij, and I'm a student from the Translational and Molecular Medicine program at UOttawa, and I'll be your host on today's special podcast episode for the Science Communication TMM4950 course. To set the stage for our episode, let's go back to a transformative period of our lives, the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you recall lockdown after lockdown, the feeling of uncertainty, the concern for your health and that of your loved ones? Remember the confusion over varying policies, both internationally and within our own borders? Politicians reassured us that their COVID-19 policies were following the science, yet I'm sure you remember moments where their actions told a different story. Today's guest has delved into dissecting this rhetoric of following the science, echoing through those unprecedented times to uncover whether it was a genuine adherence to the science or a shield to deflect blame. Today's guest is Dr. Patrick Fafard, who's a senior investigator at the Global Strategy Lab. He has a distinguished career in both government and academia, and he's an expert in public health, trade, and intergovernmental relations. His recent work has been published in notable journals, and he's also co-editor of a new book on integrating science and politics for public health. Welcome, Dr. Fafard. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. So let's begin with just an overview of your work, examining the follow the science rhetoric of the government response to COVID-19. Could you provide us with just a brief overview of this study, the objectives, why you think it was needed, and what the major findings were? Sure. So most listeners will remember in the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're talking now uh, January, but especially February, March, April of 2020, governments were making quite extraordinary decisions to close borders, impose lockdowns, close schools. And when they did that, we repeatedly were told by politicians, well, they were just following the science. Uh, They tried to convey the idea that these were science-based decisions. But of course, very quickly, public health experts, virologists, family doctors began to notice that there was a whole lot of uncertainty and disagreement about what the science was. Government decisions were not always in fact based on the science, whichever version of the science was favored by the person who was making the criticism. But for political scientists and others who study the role of scientific evidence in policymaking, this is not at all surprising because of course, it's almost, it's incredibly rare. There's a very narrow set of circumstances when a government policy decision can be based just on the science. And so if governments were not following the science and indeed probably could not follow the science, why then the repeated references to the claim, repeated claims to be following the science? So what we did is we looked into the use of this kind of rhetoric by politicians in Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom from March through September 2020. And we sampled media accounts and we isolated a representative sample of uh, instances when political leaders both nationally and at at the subnational level would use this this rhetoric and to make sense of it we used a framework that is quite common in political science which is to try and understand claims that politicians make with reference to blame avoidance and here the the basic this research is most common when a government tries to blame the other party or blame interest groups or minorities or other governments. And the classic example of this is, uh, hi, we're about to cut taxes. We're about to uh, lower services because, well, we have a fiscal mess because the people that we replaced uh, made a mess of things. And what we're interested here is the possibility that the follow the science rhetoric 
was a form of blatant avoidance in this case to scientists, particularly the government advisors. Because as you will recall, in the first several months of the pandemic, chief medical officers of health were all over the media and they were styled as being the principal uh, advisors to politicians. And we were interested in the extent to which the fall of the science rhetoric was a form of either blame avoidance or if you will, blame, blame shifting to them. So we did a sampling of the results and, sh and what we discovered was in fact, that was exactly what was going on, that it positioned political leaders to um, shift blame to other people, notably their science advisors. Right, thank you so much. And um, in the context of the pandemic, would you be able to walk us through what the negative consequences of following the science too much would be? Well, the first one I sort of alluded to earlier, which is, to stand in the public square and say this decision to impose a mask mandate or a border closure is just following the science is to misrepresent the nature of uh, policymaking and political decision making. As I said, there are very few decisions that are based exclusively on the science. There are always or almost always trade-offs and value conflicts and normative trade-offs that you have to make when making these decisions. And so at a minimum, when you emphasize excessively just following the science, you're misleading the public as to the nature of decision-making. So that's the first uh, big negative. Right. The second is that it may not work because of course there are those among us who are more and less persuaded by uh, references to science. And indeed some people are appropriately quite skeptical of expert or science-based arguments. So as we discovered over the course of the pandemic, various disadvantaged populations begin with uh, good historical reasons for not being enthusiastic about ostensibly evidence-based decisions. So just to take one example, there are many. In Canada, as late as 20, 2012, Indigenous women were being sterilized without their consent in Canadian hospitals. Right. So if you're an Indigenous person and a, and a politician says, well, I'm just following the science, your own personal experience may lead you to wonder, well, yeah, but just following the science didn't doesn't necessarily lead to good outcomes. Exactly. But ultimately, the biggest concern is that if you, it's like, it's, it's like overusing a tool or an instrument or a procedure. If you exaggerate the role of a tool, in this case, scientific advice, in the short term, it brings legitimacy to your decision. But if you overuse it, over the long term, the currency gets debased. Particularly, as has happened in Canada, when chief medical officers wear several hats, and the public got very confused as to who was making the decision. And particularly in the case of the pandemic, when people started raising principle-based objections and governments led in some provinces more than others, led the public to think, well, it was based on the advice of the chief medical officer of health. It ultimately undermines the office and the role of the chief medical officer of health, which is very bad because of course, there's going to be another pandemic. Indeed, COVID-19 is not over and we could be faced with a spike in cases sometime in the next several months. Um, at some point, we rely on the public believing that the chief medical officer felt as a legitimate person. Uh, the risk is, is that their currency, their legitimacy has been debased or has been limited as a result of the overuse of the science rhetoric. Absolutely. So what I'm gathering is in your paper, you mentioned a lot about the negative consequences of relying on the science too much in policymaking, where we have mistrust in professionals and there's a strain between the relationship of politicians, healthcare experts, 
experts and then the citizens, the general public that's being affected by this. But do you believe that there may be a flip side to this coin where there may be positive consequences for leaders who do follow this rhetoric? Um, yes. So let's take a couple of concrete examples. Of um, as I alluded to, there are a narrow set of situations where quote, following the evidence or the science is appropriate. So if the decision to be made is a program-like decision, a technical issue, where the number of parameters is quite limited, it makes a certain amount of sense that you defer to, to the advice of experts. So having decided to build a bridge, having decided to build a bridge in a certain place, having decided that your budget for the bridge is going to be X, at some point you just leave it to the engineers to build the bridge, you don't insert yourself. Or to take a more recent example in public health, when we got an outbreak of foodborne disease in childcare centers in Alberta in uh, late August, early September, the government appropriately stepped back and simply allowed public health to do what public health does. And they sort of closed down the food handling facility, closed down the daycares, started doing contact tracing of the children. In those situations, the sciences, or in this case, the medical and public health responses relatively clear. And th those are cases where the last thing you want is politicians inserting themselves. Um, right. So there can be there can be utility. More broadly, in our society, scientists have enjoy more legitimacy than politicians. Although we should all be quite concerned about the fact that public trust in science generally is is in secular decline, and in government scientists, it's taken a hit because of the pandemic. But having said that, the public still holds science in a certain degree of esteem. And one of the positive consequences of being seen ideally appropriately to be making decisions based on the science, it gives the public some confidence that those decisions are being made for good reasons, as long as you don't overdo it. Right. So what I'm understanding is that following the science in the context of pandemics implies um, having informed decisions, but over-reliance or having miscommunication can have trust issues. Um, and it makes this rhetoric problematic, as you've stated in your article. It seems like a balance, as you mentioned, is crucial for effective policymaking. So based on your research, do you have any recommendations or considerations of um, what you would offer to political leaders facing similar public health crises in the future? Yes, I have several. Most simply, it requires politicians and their spokespeople to be honest about the complexity of policymaking, to be very clear that there are normative trade-offs, that there are value conflicts, and politicians need to take responsibility for making the tough decisions that are required uh, in those kinds of situations. And so that, that is a bare minimum. Second, it's probably long overdue that governments give some thought to who speaks for the government during a pandemic and a public health crisis. What role for the, the premier, for the minister of health, for the chief medical officer of health? Because in the public, is, especially in some provinces, notably Alberta, is very confused about who's making the decisions, and why is there that scientist up there on my television? I, I didn't vote for that person. Why is that person telling me what the government Exactly. That's a really good point. So there probably is need to think carefully about the different roles that chief medical officers of health play, advisor, executive, regulator, champion, spokesperson, and think about perhaps uh, separating those roles a little or a lot. And so those kind of bucket of changes that are about how we talk about a public health crisis or any 
uh, could be an environmental crisis, but also um, there are some mechanical things that might make it possible for the public to better understand not only why decisions are being made, but who's making them. And are there any upcoming projects or research plans that extend from this work that you've done that you're looking forward to? Sure. So um, we're working on a manuscript where instead of analyzing the, the political rhetoric of politicians, we asked ourselves the question, what were the media portrayals of chief medical officers of health in Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia? And so we, again, did some sampling of, of news sources and we um, developed some generalizations about how these people were portrayed. And in, the, in Canada, as many people will remember, a clear majority of chief medical officers of health are women. And so there's a whole series of questions about the extent to which there are gender effects when the person speaking on behalf of the government or the chief government spokesperson is a female doctor, as is so often the case. We've also got a manuscript where we do a side-by-side -side comparison of the role of chief medical officer in Canada and the United Kingdom. And finally, we have a large project that we've drawn up, we're seeking to get funding, that takes the pandemic as a starting point, observes that public trust in public health institutions has taken a hit, is in decline. And we are looking to ask the question, how can governments and others go about rebuilding trust in public health institutions? Because as I said a minute ago, at some point we rely not only on people's willingness to obey the rules, but people trusting that the, that the people who are making those rules or at least implementing those rules can be trusted. So it's to our collective interest that there's a certain minimum degree of public trust in public health institutions. And so the question then becomes how to strengthen that. Those are really fascinating avenues. Um, I'm looking forward to reading those future publications. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Fafard, for sharing your insights and experiences. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, and we truly appreciate your your time and valuable contributions. Um, if Thank our you. listeners wanted to connect with you or learn more about your work, where could they find you? Um, the single best thing to do is to go to the website of the Global Strategy Lab. Our lab is co-located at the University of Ottawa and at York University. Um, I'm the research director of public health institutions, which is one of the research streams, and just follow the links. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us today um, about this important research. As you mentioned, a lot of people, I think, fail to realize that politics and science sometimes do butt heads or don't really see eye to eye. So it's important that scientists who may not be too much into politics stop and really think about this kind of context. Thank you. You're very welcome. 